Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings, which is certainly not just about the Middle Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 46. Today, I'm here with a man who has only attended one MESBG tournament in the last three years, and it was a battle company's event at that. That's right. It's Mr. Andrew Brock. Hello, hello, everybody. And we're going to change that this coming Saturday. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. There's still time for you to bail out. And... <laughs> yeah, there's we'll still see. time. I mean, I, I told my wife about this. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to this tournament. Are you good? And she's like, yep. I just put an event in the calendar. And then, so because we have a shared Google calendar where we track things. And so she put the event in and it says, Andrew plays with his models. And I was like, well, <laughs> like it's true in many different ways, but sure. Well, that's accurate. It's accurate. It's accurate. It's but then she's like, oh, a friend of mine is coming from like Alberta. So I might be seeing him. And I'm like, when? And she's like, on the weekend. And I'm like, hmm, we're already nebulous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but dang it, I put time in to get this army ready. Yeah, I told my wife that, oh, Andrew is apparently coming to this event. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's Andrew. I'll believe it when we're at the event and he's there or we're like in the car together. Then it'll be like, okay, he's actually going. I know. And it's like Andrew, little Andrew. I say little because he's mm. bigger than us now. Um, is always like, hey, um, can I uh, like bum a ride off you? And I'm like, <laughs> I've flaked so many events for the last second. I'm like, buddy, I would find another way there. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to drive you. But like I had to blow you off another time and it, did not, it was not good. So I just don't, I don't have in the heart to be like, I happily yeah. drive Andrew because Andrew, little Andrew, his, I think his grandmother lives probably like five minutes to 10 minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can just pick him up in the morning. There's no, no issue. And he can always take the subway to yeah. my house, which we've done in the past. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, but it's just like getting those like reliable, like this is, I'm going to yeah, go to yeah. this event. I'm not quite at the point where it's like, um, you know, even the day of could be a disaster zone. If like my wife and son are both sick, I'm like, yeah, yeah there's no way I can go to this event. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. I got you covered. I picked up little Andrew at the last event and Thank we went you, down appreciate together. It. Yeah. He, so. I, he's going on his own and I appreciate that. The problem is yeah. he's going to smash the bejesus out of me. <laughs> he's actually not coming to the event next week. Oh no. We'll probably go no. to school. I imagine first two weeks of school. It's either that or I think he mentioned that he had another event planned for another game. But anyway, gotcha. let us move on. Let us move on. So uh, you, you've you been doing a lot of hobby in the last couple of weeks. I have. I have been um, frantically trying to get my Hobbit army done for this event. And as of yesterday, I have one model left to go. Two weeks ago, I had 35 models to go, and now I have one model to go. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't count the traps as models because it's really just take bases and, like, put some green stuff into the, the slot to fill it up and then just mm-hmm. put the trap effect on the bottom. Oh, the hobbit uh, traps. Yeah, the hobbit traps, okay. right? And those are really dead simple because you just yeah. paint, the, paint the top brown, slap some static grass on it, and you're done. Mm-hmm. So th- that I, I have no issues. Um, it's 
just like, yeah, I think my big hang up, because this army probably would have been done end of August, is I kept thinking to myself, oh, I got to pin all of these models to the bases because I made a whole bunch of custom bases, right? Like some cork and some all sorts of different mm -hmm. stuff because I really wanted to amp up the, the army. Um, and, and taking cues from Derek, um, who Derek um, Satnik from the, the OSBGL is phenomenal at his bases. They look great. And it's just mm -hmm. like it really amps up the model when the base is, is, is you know, giving the attention it deserves. And so um, I made this plan. I'm like, every time I have to, I'm allowed to work on, or I'm able to work on my models is whenever, when everyone else goes to sleep. And so the, the click, click, click sound of like snipping um, paper clips, <laughs> um, that can tend to wake people up. So I finally got them all clipped out for, and, and ready to pin. And then I realized that the feet and ankles of the hobbits are literally the width yeah. of the pin. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's was stupid. I'm just going to glue the damn thing to the mod <laughs> to the base. And then it was like, boom, I took off and, you know, out in the races. Yeah. I was doing probably two, two and a half hours a night, mm -hmm. um, sacrificing a lot of sleep. Um, but um, with the slap chop in hand, I flew through 34 hobbits um, of various shapes and sizes. Nice. Yeah, they look really good. You sent some pictures of them and it's like, wow, thank this guy's you, making you. some serious progress. I know this puts my army to 80, 80 models painted this year. Wow, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris is in trouble this year. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Although on my side, I've been like massive goose egg. I remember, I think I said last time I forced myself to paint a couple of models to sort of get myself out of a painting funk that I'd been in, yeah. which happens every year. So oh, yeah. just right back into the painting funk. Um, but this time it's because I've been working on these terrain models, the, uh, the Necromancer Dol Guldur uh, terrain kits. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have three of those kits. And I'm like, oh, I got a week off. I had the past week off. I said, I'll just knock all of those models out. No problem, right? Well, okay. little did I know, it is probably if not the most difficult Games Workshop model that I've ever assembled in my life. And yeah, I've been yeah. assembling them ever since they've had their first plastic models out. Mm -hmm. It is insanely detailed and complicated to put together. And I can't even imagine the number of pieces. Like every component that you're putting together is consists of three or four other pieces. So it's it's you know well over a hundred pieces I would say in in that kit, and me being yeah. a dummy like it it's also the alignment of the pieces is important because it's very simple as I found out to put some of these pieces on upside down or backwards basically and then you're like oh shoot that's on the wrong side I got to tear it apart now, <laughs> right? I I thought the Rohan houses were like. Like when I started building those for our table last year, the Rohan houses were like five steps up from the Gondor Ruins of Osgiliath yeah. kits. I was like, dang, there's so much customizability. And we only used the houses. We didn't use some of the other stuff like the Palisades, mm -hmm. the Watchtower, that kind of stuff. So we didn't ever use any of that. And so for me, it was like, this is really crazy, uh, the amount of customizability. And then I was talking to my brother who was building the, the Gondor mansion. Mm -hmm. 
and he had it laid out and he's taking progress photos and sending it to me. And I'm like, this is insanely complex. And yeah. you're just like, yeah, that's, that's child's play compared to the, 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 the Dunkle Door ruins. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, on top of that, um, I ran out of plastic model cement, like within the first couple of days of being off. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, no worries. I'll just go and buy some more. And the, and because I've been using the same stuff forever, which is I use the testers uh, model glue. Oh, is, the, is that the red and white one? It's the orange tube, right? It's oh, been yeah, out yeah, for yeah, yeah. like, you know, since I was a kid. So I've since always used it. Born. Yeah. And so I went out to find some more. And of course, the first store didn't have it. Second store didn't have it. Third store didn't have it. And, you know, by now a couple of days have gone by. I'm like, okay, this is stupid. I'm like losing time because I don't have glue. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going and buying a pot of the Tamiya, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, it's, it's like a screw on top and it has like a brush inside. Yeah, I saw so that. So very different than what I was used to. Um, so the very first time I'm using it, I dropped the entire thing in my lap and spent, <laughs> spilled like 90% of the, the, oh. of the contents like right in my crotch, right? <laughs> it's oh. like totally ruined a pair of track pants. And it's like, okay, this isn't working out well. <laughs> You know, so in the end, I just ordered some more glue off Amazon and it was there the next day. And I'm like, why didn't I just do this at the beginning? (laughs) Right. Um, It's funny you mentioned that because I only use Gorilla Super Glue. I don't use plastic cement. I know everyone's Mm. just like, dude, the bond is amazing. And like, it's it's a seamless bond. I'm like, I know, but I just, I'm so used to using um, Gorilla Super Glue because there's uh, same situation as you. Um, I ran because I used to use um, this other stuff. I, I haven't used Games Workshop glue in years and I never got into the whole testers thing. Um, and so I was using this other stuff like it was like Acrylla, Cetaphane or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and it worked really well um, and then I ran out of it um, and then I was like damn what do I do now and it was like eve of a tournament or something i needed to glue something together and i just ran to the canadian tire because it was the closest place that was around here in, in north york mm-hmm. uh, and i bought gorilla super glue and i've just been using it ever since yeah i i switched over to gorilla super glue like for my super glue for gluing you know metal models and all that yeah. together because they have um it's like a gel super glue so it's not like water consistency Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, I've really loved it. It's been fantastic. So I've just actually gotten another bottle of that cause I went through my first bottle I had of it. It's crazy. I actually don't use the gel. I use the, the other stuff, the liquid stuff. Um, and I've even, there's sometimes I'll even use it for basing. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I don't have time, I'm like, I need this to adhere now. Um, mm-hmm. I'll drop, put a couple drops of the super glue down and then just like, put my basing on and then boom it's rock hard and like you know yeah i would say like 20 seconds or something now mm-hmm. mind you when you're using it for the basing what's the big issue as you can snap it off completely clean because it's not designed to hold like cork or stone to like plastic right. um right. which is where you use the tacky glue and i'm like that's when i got in bougie i was just like i've got time before this mm-hmm. tournament i can put some tacky glue on this do it right with the basing <laughs> so yeah well, anyway, at the end of the day, still haven't finished putting together the first 
ruins oh of Dol Guldur. I should have it done by today. So I'll have one out of three done after having an entire week off. So but yeah, you know good what? job. Good job. But you, but you know what? You have figured out all the issues. So building two and three will be a lot easier. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And plus, like, yeah. I already have some parts of the second one done because it's like I used pieces that I shouldn't have used. And I'm like, oh, I'll just save this for the next building. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> right. So, th- you know, the the Canadian Shire is coming up soon, right? First week of November, I think it was. Yeah. That's what we yeah. talked about. And, you know, like, this this, this, this has got to get painted, my friend, before the end of, uh, end of October. Yeah. I know, but that's someone else's job, so it's okay. And the nice thing is, like, it doesn't matter if you're like, man, we've got three days left. Chris can get this done. He's like, it's already done. Chris is a machine. I'm relying on Chris's incredible output of painting. He'll airbrush that stuff in no time. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, the the Dolgo Doer kit, these kits are meant to be airbrushed. Like, they shine when it comes to airbrushing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, anyway. uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, and the, the, the challenge is, so I've got. My, my 80 hobbits done and I've got a whole bunch more hobbits that are in the hopper ready to go but I've I've run almost completely dry of all my tufts and like mm. flowers and stuff like and I had like a huge assortment prior to starting this the, 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 the completion of the first 80 hobbits yeah. and now I'm like completely done and I'm like well uh, a trip to Lords of War then apparently to get some more <laughs> yeah the great tough crisis of 2023 is the tournament coming up at a um, gaming um, store yes or is it, it is perfect yeah. hopefully they got more toughs there black knight games in hamilton ontario perfect perfect there you um, go so they'll have some toughs i hope so i'll clean them out and everyone will be like why are you taking all the toughs i'm like dude i still have half my I have half the hobbits <laughs> left to go <laughs> there you go you'll be sticking toughs on your hobbits during the game one Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. They're all done. Um, it, it's funny because um, I, I know I'm going to struggle in this first tournament. I just know I am because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I haven't played the game in like a, you know, Battle Companies is a different thing yeah. than actually playing an organized game in ages. And I'm like, okay, we've got playing in this big tournament um, and like 650 points and bringing like 81 models and this can be great. And then I thought to myself, you're playing an 81 model army. And you haven't played this game in ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, bro, do you have movement trays? Nope. I don't know. I don't have those. Um, I don't have a measuring tape because my measuring tape broke when I was measuring something non-gaming um, related. And I was like, oh, man, I feel bad I got some pseudo moving trays that I could give you. It Basically, for when I did my Hobbit army, I made... Um, Essentially, all it is is it's sort of a roundish sort of terrain base kind of with like a like a graveled top to it and tufts and stuff. And it's basically what I did was it's for deploying your warbands. So like when you have casualties, you take them off and mm-hmm. put them on these stands and then they're ready to be put on the table. So when you go to deploy a warband, you just pick up this whole plate and just mm-hmm. drop it on the table and you're done they just move off of it gotcha, gotcha. on their okay, first move yeah, yeah that'd be cool because um the, the challenge is looking for is i'm trying to find movement trays that are staggered right which will yeah. then allow you to then have staggered shooting um which most movement trays aren't mm-hmm. um so i'm like well this is annoying so i found a company that does do it um but the challenge is like it's magnetized so i'd have to buy like 
80 magnets. <laughs> yeah, find so, a file, they'll be bound to be like dozens of 3D printable stuff. Yeah, I mean, my brother still has to get th the 3D printer up and running. He's uh, he's struggling with that one, I'll say that. Well, but there's we'll other there. people that 3D print. Fair point, fair point. Um, all right, sir. I think shall this... We, uh, shall we shall move we? on? Yeah, so this, so this episode is going to be slightly different. Yeah, it seems ones. like we say that every time now. <laughs> I feel like it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you introduce the next section. Okay, well, the next section is not what you're expecting because we actually have some correspondence oh. from, from our wonderful listeners. So we do have three little um, letters, I guess, to, to mm -hmm. read out. So we'll quickly cover those. And then we're going to do our main topic, which is uh, one of mine. This is one mm -hmm. of mine. So you know it's probably focused on battle companies and it's probably some crazy cockamamie shenanigan thing um custom so it's, something yeah custom something so it is um and it's called unique warrior profiles so that's what right. our main topic is going to be on so did you do your creative homework for that i did all my creative homework and then some nice okay sounds good well let's move on Don, so hit me. What's what's what the, what's the next? Uh, what's the first email we're gonna read out? Yeah, we're gonna return to the old favorite, all that is gold, and we actually got three little notes from from people. What? Yeah, three. from various places. You know, Facebook. You know, email stuff like that. There. So the okay, first okay. one um, is from Adrian, mm -hmm. and he says, "Great episode." Out of interest, what is considered good etiquette in terms of army list reveal? A, at the start of the game before deployment, or B, deploy first and then show slash explain the list. We've been doing it at the start, but wondered if it's better to deploy out of a closed box first on the basis that if you know your opponent uh, still has unit A to put down, you might hold back on unit X. That might happen to be A's best counter. So basically it's when do you reveal your army list to the other player? Uh, oh. Before or after deployment is essentially what he's asking. When you get to the table. Yeah. Like... When I get to the table, I will give my opponent my army list. I'll even, because my army's on a display board, I'll even put it in front of them. Like, I mean, when I say put it in mm -hmm. front of them, I put, the, put it on my side of the table, but so they can see. And I say, yeah. here's my army list. Um, please let me know if you have any questions. Yeah. Um, and they almost, like, I mean, most of the people you, you play against will skim it. And because everyone, like, the factions here don't radically change like they do in 40K no. or AOS. So they almost always know what's going on. Uh, and sometimes they'll be like, well, I don't know what this does. And you explain it, right? Because gotchas happen in the game, mm -hmm. but you want to limit those. In fact, the new rules specifically state um, under like the etiquette uh, section in the new rule book, it specifically states that you are required, you are required to tell your opponents exactly what's in your army to prevent gotchas. Like it's oh, not really? like a, it's not an optional thing. You have to do mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Um, it, it counts towards your sportsmanship, right? Um, even to the point where it's like, it gives grounds to say like, um, 
you can be, you know, um, penalized for in tournaments for mm-hmm. not doing it. Um, and those rules apply at Games Workshop tournaments. Um, so if you got to your opponent because you're being sneaky um, mm-hmm. with things like army list building or, or models, um, yeah, that can really be to your detriment. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that was in the in the book. Um, yeah, but yeah, so essentially it's like full disclosure right off the top. That's how we do it here anyways. Uh, but I, that could be a good idea for a TO to try that out is like, yeah, army list reveal um, does not happen until deployment. You know, that could be a could be an angle on a on a tournament possibly. I think for me, the etiquette that comes into play here is not necessarily the army reveal. It's um, where you get some players who, um, like we know most of the models, like you know all of the models because you have a friggin' photographic memory, so you just memorize everything. Well, I've been playing for years, played against almost everything in the game, and like I still don't know like like what a watcher in the water does. Like, you know, it's a giant octopus on land that has like long arms and it'll suck you in. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know the details, right? Mm -hmm. Plus I can't remember, so you know, one goes with the other. Um, But like you do get some players who may be a little bit less familiar with stuff and they'll go go through like this long itinerary of like what is this model what what special rules do they have what does it do you know one after the other and like to me that's too much right mm-hmm. like when i go up to a table and there's models on the other side and the other guy says like this is my army do you know what everything does and i said no but it's okay i'll find out during the game that's how i approach it it's like i i am totally fine with someone doing a gotcha on me because i don't know your models and like i actually kind of enjoy that part of the game like mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know what that guy does i sort of know but i'll find out in during the game yeah, um, I will also, you know, and this this is because that's your personal preference. Um, yeah, because it's like, uh, and speaking from as as the not super competitive guy. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, as the super competitive guy, there's also um, sort of an implicit requirement on you to know, generally speaking, what everything does in the game. Yeah. Right. If you really want to play on top tables, it's incumbent upon you to know everything that's going on as Mm -hmm. well as um having the wherewithal to ask right because if at the end of the day if your opponent says here's my army list do you have any questions they're done their job right they will happily Mm -hmm. provide you the information but if you don't ask then you're gonna get gotcha and that's just yeah just don't take 20 minutes trying to understand the other guy's army because that's too much yeah which is the importance of knowing the general gist of armies in advance yeah. Because you can even say, like, look, I don't know what your army does, but just generally give me the gist, right? Like, yeah, is it a fast-moving army? And yeah. They can sum it up for you in, like, one minute flat, and then you can sift through your army, the army books to yeah. figure out what the individual models just do as tell the game me, progresses. tell me what army type from north of the Shire this is. There you go. Boom. Done. Right. You know what? And if you know, if they don't know it, say, "Look, what's your problem? You should be listening to these podcast episodes." Done. Yeah, there you, you go. Know? And Bando Brass agrees with me. All right. Well, that question was from Adrian, so thanks, Adrian, for thanks so much, Adrian. Uh, for uh, writing in. So the next one is from Tell Me a Tale SBG. Okay, mm. and so this is in regards to our last episode on Reconnoiter, where we were talking about man-sized models remember that topic came up so he says um 
finally got to listen to this, two quick notes. The definition of a man-sized model is provided in the FAQ of the Armies of the Hobbit book. So this question actually came in to us from another listener who, right. who had confusion about what exactly is a man-sized model. So he goes on to say, a note on man-sized models. So this is the FAQ statement, I guess. A man-sized mm-hmm. model is anything that is roughly the size of a man or smaller. Mm-hmm. This includes, but is not limited to, men, elves, dwarves, hobbits, orcs, Urukai and goblins. This will also include men that are slightly bigger than other men, such as Bjorn when he's in his man form. After all, he's still a man. Also, uh, and then, so that was the FAQ quote. So there's that. So let's just talk about that. He's got another point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all That's all fine, but I still don't think it, it even slightly clears up the confusion that our other listener had was essentially, I think, is a man-sized model still a man-sized model when he's mounted, or is he no longer a man-sized model when he's mounted? I, I think that's basically what the confusion was with our other I would say he's not because he, he. I would say he's not because he, <clears throat> he's even changing his, his type, right? Yeah. Before you have infantry, now you yeah. want a cavalry. That's exactly. A big difference. Yeah, and that's how I play it. That's what I. That's what I told the person. But he was saying that they still play it even when mounted. It's it's a man sized model. I'm like, well, no, the unit is now a cavalry model. Right, it's no longer an infantry model. So, so there. So, um, so thanks from uh, Tell Me a Tale SBG for pointing out the FAQ. But mm. in this case, the FAQ doesn't really answer the other listeners' uh, concern. But th- but. The other piece is that the FAQ doesn't stipulate that man-sized models are horses or wargs. Mm-hmm. True. So, or ridden wargs or ridden horses, right? And so, or ridden ponies. And so, because mm-hmm. it doesn't stipulate that, I'm like, you are a horse and a human, so you are not a human only. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would, I would lean to. Remember, in 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 times of um, vagueness, the general rule is to lean towards the lesser ruling, um, the ruling that's least um, punitive on the player. Right. Uh, and this is the player that's being affected by the ruling. So if you're mm. saying that I've got a, a, a man on a horse and my, my war bat's going to fly over and knock him prone because it's a man sized model, the, the least punitive ruling here in, 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 in situations of vagueness is it's not a man sized model. Yeah. No, because right? you're attacking cavalry model, which is essentially a horse. So you're not going to knock it Correct. over. Correct. Right. So yeah, you always, and remember that again. It's about the the the, the etiquette of a game and being a good yeah. sport is to say, hey, look, I'm not pressing every rule as my to my advantage when there's a yeah. situation of vagueness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. The second part of his thing, and this is is to do with siege weapons and you know battlefield targets and such, because we talked about oh, this. Um, this was in regards to a comment that you had made. Mm. I don't know if you recall, but I recall. So he says also. The list of siege targets versus battlefield targets is provided in the main rulebook. Momax slash large siege engines are listed as siege targets, while small siege engines are listed as battlefield targets. This means that a Mordor war catapult that shoots at a Gondor bolt thrower will insta-kill it, but it won't insta-kill an Iron Hills Ballista or a Gundabad catapult troll. So in the last episode, this 
discussion had come up and you had made the comment something to the effect of they should make a list of these <laughs> battlefield targets slash seized siege targets so so this listener is just saying yeah there is such a list there is but it's not an exclusive list i mean it's not an exhaustive list mm-hmm. and i mean the list itself really needs to be like for example the great beast of gorgoroth right um mm-hmm. you're saying that the mumak is on there right um mm-hmm. i assume also smaug is on there right i don't know um and so i don't have the rule book in front of me unfortunately to check but it's like it's better if the list, because like with siege engines, that you hit the nail on the head. Large ones count as battlefield. Uh, sorry, as, as um, siege targets. Small mm-hmm. ones count as battlefield targets. But what about war beasts in general? Where do war beasts yeah. fall? Right. You talked to Mumak, but what about the great beast of Gorgoroth? Right. Yeah. Because um, hitting it with a ballista, probably like a like a, an Urukai ballista or a Twirly Whirly, probably wouldn't kill it in one shot. Right. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of where the confusion lies. Is that some stuff you're like, hmm, that doesn't seem like it should be something that's instant giveable because um, it's so big um, right or so, so to me it's like um, it would be better if it was keyword based or mm-hmm. it, it had more things on the list that was clearly spelling it out so yeah. it didn't appear like it was like mm, this monstrous thing can be instant gived for example um, um, uh, what is it the, um, the, the monster with the catapult on its back right yeah, Gundabad um, catapult troll. Exactly. You're telling me that's more resilient than a great beast of Gorgoroth, which has a monstrous base. Like, come on. I mean, I think I think the recent FAQ just adjusted that for the great beast of Gorgoroth and clarified it, but um, I, I don't recall mm. it off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, that's one of those like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense just because there's a siege engine strapped to its top that it would do that. But anyways. Um, Sounds like yeah. this would require us to actually open the rule book and, and read this part and possibly some FAQs. I've, I've read all of it. It's just been an mm-hmm. age. But yeah, no, he, you, you know, the, 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 our, our dutiful me, listener it, makes to me, very this is something points. that To me, this is one of these things that I get hung up on because it's like I read I, I read about these units in the game and I just ask myself, why are these units even in a skirmish game? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's they, true. Like... It, Sure, if you're conducting a siege, then you have siege engines in the game. But if you're if you're having a battle like in a set piece battle on an open field, there's no siege engines, right? Small siege engines, yes, there's a historical precedent. Um, I get hung up on these little kind of things. And so, you know, like the ballista, like the the, the dwarf ballista, for example, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a historical precedent for, for that kind of equipment to be in like an open field set piece battle, mm-hmm. but not for like large siege engines that are, are firing at infantry, right? However, like, you got to take into account it's a fantasy game where there where there are like dragons and and whatnot, and mm-hmm. also well they need to have some things to make models out of to sell, yeah. and they were yeah. in the movie, so you know okay fine. You know what though, this is a perfect opportunity for legendary legions. Do you know what I mean? Like in the Isengard legendary legion, uh, so the Isengard army list, um, mm-hmm. the Urukai um, ballista. Um, is not usable outside of Siege games. But hey, mm-hmm. in the Assault and Helm's Deep Legendary Legion, you can now use it. You yeah. don't have to provide any additional boons to this. The boon is you can now use the Ballista in yeah. a pitch battle. And, yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and that's one of those things where it's like, I don't have to provide 
candy to get you to use this legion, maybe just the ability to use a model when you wouldn't normally be able to mm-hmm. is in and of itself a boon. And that's all you need to, that's all you need or to say. Or you could say, you know, if you take the legendary legion, you can use this other type of ammunition for your catapult and it's more effective against, you know, infantry targets or something. Yeah, or you, or you get the free upgrade to like the Screaming Skulls or something like that yeah. on a Mortal or Catapult Troll. Mortal Call. All right, Catapult. anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, thanks to Tell Me a Tale, SBG, for, for writing. Thank you so much. We, we always appreciate it when, when our, our, our listeners point mm. out something because we, we prefer to be right than, you know, to be wrong. And we, we, always, we always call ourselves out. Okay, the last one is an email. Mm. Um north of the shire podcast one the number one at gmail.com and it's from our friend mike shock and uh generally he takes a little bit of exception with something that i said in the last episode which Mm. was in regards to sort of quote unquote elite models spammed in armies and i had a problem with it so he says long time no right It's been a hot minute since I've written to you guys, but I still listen to every episode religiously. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Had a chance to get through the latest FAQ review episode today, and I gotta say, I got a little fired up at one point when it came to the nerf to the Assault on Lothlorien list. I hate the list as much as the next guy, (laughs) so I'm glad to see its time in the sun, or moon, question mark, has come to an end seemingly. But your speculation that that particular nerf is a sign of things to come has set alarm bells ringing for me, particularly to the point that we might see an elite keyword. So what he's referring to there, and he's not finished, but what he's referring to is you must have like what a certain amount of orcs now in your list. I forget what the FAQ is. What is it? Like 50-50 orcs slash goblins. Yeah, Yeah. so you got to buy some more expensive units to can't just spam the cheaper goblins, right? Yeah, one point more orcs. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and everybody's just taking the trackers anyway, which are only five. Um, Personally, the the notion that we might end up in a system where armies are restricted to the number of elite models they can bring would be a nightmare for the game. Admittedly, Mm. I might be biased as a casual Durin with 18 Hearthguard enjoyer, but I really don't think the game needs restrictions like that. Those models are elite, yes, but they cost more. That's where the balance comes in. That's the restriction. If running a pile of them is somehow game-breaking, then maybe the profile needs a look, but don't punish the player because of it. MESBG still often caters to a crowd who enjoys theme to a degree, and if I want to run a royal guard list or a fountain guard list or a heap of black guard or whatnot, then let me pay for it in the cost of the profile, not arbitrary restrictions. I like seeing Durin's royal court guard smashing enemy lines, And a sick part of me enjoys seeing similarly elite builds 
duking it out against overwhelming odds. It's part of the fun. Anyway, thanks for another banger of an episode, you two. Keep up the tremendous work. All the best, Mike Shock. Well, thanks, Mike, for the question. Thank you, Mike. So, yeah, and I had said in the the previous episode that I thought some lists were ridiculous, and the example I gave was like an all-fountain-court um, army list, for example. Thoughts? Um, this is another excellent way of... Um, expanding on the complexity of you know the middle earth armies mm-hmm. of msbg without needing to add more special rules mm-hmm. um in the sense that uh the elite keyword should exist straight up it should exist mm-hmm. and that um basic armies should be capped at let's say 33 percent of their army should be keyword, uh, elite keywords just just arbitrary number it could be i don't know yeah. what it which would be normally um and then we should allow things like special characters, like Durin. Like if Durin, if Hearthguard are taken in Durin's list, they don't count towards the elite limit, right? Mm-hmm. Or we take Legendary Legions, where the elite limit's disregarded for the purposes of this Legendary Legion. So it allows for you to say, hey, look, the armies um, at a base level are designed to be played using basic troops. Because if mm-hmm. you don't put something like that in, guess what happens? Nobody yeah. takes the basic troop, ever. Yeah. Like, how often do you see a dwarf warrior spam list? Never. Never, yeah. Never. You never see it. And how often do you see a um, any sort of basic, like a, a, a Minas Tirith um, warrior spam, like Warriors of Minas Tirith spam list? You don't really. You see them smattered around with things like, say, Rangers, or mm-hmm. with, you know, a smattering of Fountain Court Guard. Or generally, yeah. if they go Warriors of, or you're going Gondor, you're going pure Fountain Court Guard, right? And some Rangers. And it's like, well, hold on. That's not realistic to the world of Lord of the Rings. And you could say, well, it's a fantasy world. Yeah, but in this fantasy world, the regular Joe Schmo was who was what was fighting evil, not the mm-hmm. elite Joe Schmo. They had their part, but they were nowhere near as numerous as the regular Joe Schmo. You right. know, and yeah, to me, it's like this offers another amazing opportunity to say, hey, if you take this special character that you don't normally see, he gives you bonuses towards the elite keyword. If you take, um, let's say, this legendary legion, they give you a bonuses mm-hmm. to the elite keyword and that kind of stuff. And it allows you to have these... Um, these these legendary legions which don't need special rules, which don't need to, to break the meta or shift yeah. it in a direction that it really shouldn't be going in. That, yeah, and you know, I, think, so, yeah. I think this is something... I, I do agree with you. I think, I think they should have an elite keyword in the game. In mm-hmm. fact, they kind of already do. More on that in a second. Um, but this this would require a bit of an overhaul to mm-hmm. army lists and profile hero profiles and stuff so it's if they decide to pick that up that idea up it wouldn't it wouldn't show up until the next edition of the game oh yeah absolutely um, i think the problem and i mentioned this last time that this game has with this concept because certainly this concept is is you know well flushed out in their other games um is is that there's just not enough unit profiles in this game in each mm-hmm. faction to do this because once you do that once you restrict your elites then you're removing sort of various armies from the game like for example yeah. you know like i said the the fountain court spam you know that no longer becomes a thing so it means every time you play a list they become more 
samey like every time you play you know this certain army it looks the same because i'm restricted mm. on the way that i can build it. it it it's not overwhelmingly that way but it it does sort of you know channel it into sort of that direction um however i did mention that this is kind of in the game so let's like turn the page over to battle companies it's still svg but on a smaller scale mm -hmm. so you know battle companies generally range you know let's just say roughly between say a hundred points and maybe three three or four hundred points you could get a battle company up to so um they do compare to um regular uh mesbg uh what do you call that one player versus another um uh anyway competitive games um oh head-to-head -head competitive games yeah, there's a term they use for it, and I've forgotten what it is. But anyway, um, in battle companies, they do label some units as rare, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Which are these units? They're, they're yeah. elite warrior units. And so they're rare one, rare two, rare three, and that means you can only have that many of them in your in your army. So if you have a battle company that's worth 300 points and it has a rare unit in it, like what difference is there between that and like a 300 point army in, you know, regular competitive MESBG? It's it's pretty much directly relatable, right? And mm. and so they did feel the need to put that in at the small army size uh, yeah. which battle company is, you know, but in MESBG proper, they, they don't have that rule at all. Yeah. I mean, in battle companies, an elite model can make a big difference in a, in a, in a game, right? So if you spammed all, yeah. like, berserkers, I mean, let's be honest, that, that army's going to crash most armies. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's game. just because of the two attacks, right? So, exactly, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, I, I totally agree with you. And, and when you say samey, this is where things like you know, named characters and composition changes and, mm -hmm. and legendary legions can fix that, right? Without having to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so that can really change a lot of those dynamics very easily. Um, so I really wouldn't consider that samey. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think as long as, you know, named characters and, and legendary legions exist at the start of the newest edition, whenever that may be. Mm -hmm. um, and this keyword thing comes through. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see why um, mm -hmm. this, this couldn't work. Yeah, I, I definitely think they should add that tag, the elite tag, to uh, to models. It's all in the way that it's used, really. Mm -hmm. Com it comes down to if it's a good or a bad thing for the game. But mm -hmm. anyway... That was from Mike Shock. So thank you, Mike, for for that letter. Appreciate it. Okay, well, let's move on now to our main topic. All right, so for our main topic, we're going to talk about unique warrior profiles. Um, so this is mainly something that I've come up with. I've mentioned before that I'm writing a campaign for battle companies, and so this is the part of it. So I think this is probably the way that I'm going to share my, my campaign is like in little chunks like this. Like mm -hmm. before when I gave the, 
the Hobbit paths, like that's also part of my battle camp company's campaign. So now this okay. is the second thing. Um, and essentially, I've, I've written this all out, so I'm just going to read this. Um, okay. because it's, it's actually part of the battle company campaign. Um, and it probably still needs a little bit of tweaking, but, um, anyway, I'll get on with it here. A unique warrior is a warrior unit that is singular in nature and is intended primarily for battle companies. So unlike normal warriors, like a warrior of Minas Tirith, which you can have many of in your army, a unique warrior is literally a unique model. So there can only ever be one of these models in your warband or even in your campaign. They share the unique aspect of their profile with heroes in battle companies, each of which is a singular named profile with different statistics and special rules. Although unique warriors are not heroes and therefore have no heroic stats, might, will, or fate, these models are most well suited to take part in a narrative campaign. I would encourage players to develop their own unique warrior profiles to participate in narrative battle company campaigns. Unique warriors are designed to take advantage of one rule mechanic that is, well, unique to battle companies, that being the advancement rule. Most battle companies offer admit advancements to some of their warriors in their faction, but not all. Warriors roll to see if they advance every time they gain five experience points. On the roll of a four or a five, they advance into a new profile. While on the roll of a six, they become heroes in the making and actually get awarded a point of fate and become a hero. Example of a warrior advancement from Lothlorien. A wood elf warrior with wood elf spear can advance into a Galadrium warrior with spear and shield. A Galadrium mm -hmm. warrior with spear and shield can then advance into a guard of the Galadrium court. So there you have two advancements happening and three different profiles uh, for the model. At the other end of the spectrum, there is an example in the rulebook where Games Workshop even makes up a profile to provide an advancement for a model where otherwise there would be none. The Moria Expedition faction, my favorite one, mm -hmm. has a dwarf ranger can advance to become a Moria Expeditionary. What's a Moria Expeditionary, you ask? A Moria mm -hmm. Expeditionary is a dwarf ranger that does not suffer the minus one to hit for moving half of its movement allowance and shooting. Coincidentally, the ranger path, which is for heroes, has the special rule um, has a similar special rule, and it's called Steady Aim. So essentially, a Moria Expeditionary is a Dwarf Ranger Warrior model with a special rule, Steady Aim. No point increase is mentioned here, but it could potentially come with a cost of plus one point. Mm. The idea with Unique Warriors is they would have three advancements and therefore four profiles. So although not heroes with Might, Will, and Fate, they will get better with each advancement. All these profiles will contribute to their narrative and help tell a story about the warrior. There needs to be limits put on Unique Warrior Profile. After all, they aren't heroes, so they should never have any heroic stats. Also, 
They should not have any statistics that are better than any warrior profile currently in the game. So I think it would be wise to take a look at some elite warrior profiles in the game to kind of figure out what the upper limit should be for a unique warrior profile. Okay, so okay. Andrew. Yes. You got are you with me on this so far? I'm with you on this. Is, is it pretty clear or what? It's pretty clear, yeah. Okay. So you have some examples prepared of the kind of warriors that we're talking about, the elite warriors, the sort of the upper limits of what a warrior can be in MESBG. Yes, that's correct. Lay it on us. Okay, so like I don't have the actual profiles written out, but I've got the names sure. and I can sort of just the talk. We to all the know the game. We know what the profiles are. Roughly. So let's start with the evil side. Sure. I'm a big evil fan. Uh, the first and foremost, I think we can all agree upon is the half troll. The half troll, the, yeah. The, the quintessential elite of yeah. the, the evil armies out there. Two wounds, fight five, strength six, strength mm -hmm. five, defense six, two attacks. Can't go wrong. What kind of point uh, values? That's 20, 25 points, something in that range, isn't 23, it? 23, 25 points, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then we've got also, now, now, now I tried to do a bit of variety here. Sure. Um, so from a, um, a, a cavalry perspective, I would say the Mahood Camel Riders mm -hmm. are an elite cavalry unit. You know, with their impale, um, mm -hmm. the fact that they've got, uh, I believe it's, uh, I know those are the heroes of the war spears, but they've got the, the blowpipes and they've got the impale. Um, mm -hmm. Very unique relative to things like war marauders mm -hmm. and, um, you know, or trackers on war and that kind of stuff. I think we've all been there where we've had a game where you had one camel rider charge and kill like four or five models in one move. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking for <laughs> that this weekend if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, hobbits. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the last evil profile I have is a little bit more unique. It's the giant spider. Oh, the giant spider. Yeah. 25 That's points, right. I believe. 20 points, actually. 20 points, and he's uh, fight four, and he's got strength five, and uh, two wounds and two attacks, and terror. Um, so nastiness, but on the and good side... And can essentially move anywhere. Pretty much, yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, move anywhere unimpeded, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and on the good side is, I mean, I think the, the, the parallel to the half-troll is the Bjornings. I think the that's Bjornings, it. Yeah. yeah, you know, your your fight five, um, strength four with burly and, and a hand and a half axe. I mean, two, two wounds. attacks, yeah, two attacks and two wounds. I mean, yeah, like that's your quinta, that's your your parallel to the half troll. Yeah, um, and then for the, the the cavalry side, I went with. Now I would have gone with the Rimdale Knights. They're the usual ones, but uh, mm -hmm. I went with the Knight of Dole Amroth on armored horse with shield and lance. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they have the potential of going up to fight six with the right heroes. They've got the reroll from their, their leader, um, all this good stuff. And they're on an armored horse, yeah. which usually you don't see for most cavalry models. Oh, they can ruckusy for sure. Oh, yeah. And then for my sort of special um, option for good is the high elf, um, the knight of Arid, uh, you know, high elf warrior mm -hmm. with the king's guard upgrade with spear and elven bow. The old mm. fight six, the old fight six with spear and yeah. elven bow. Yeah, yeah. Um, the elite of the elite for um, Eregion. Eregion. Yeah. 
So are they are they the ones that also get a courage? Do they get a courage boost too? Or no. no? Um, so the king's reverie just else? gives them. Uh, it's from Celeborn. Celeborn oh, gives okay. the models courage. Um, Gilgalad gives them a fight. Yeah, it's some elf thing. Yeah, some elf thing. But yeah, fight six is nasty on a basic warrior of a spear. Yeah. So is, are those your examples? Those six, those are my examples. Yeah, right on. Elite, Good examples. Good examples. Yeah. So it seems like you know some of the things there are like fight maybe fight six, um, two wounds. Is, I think is the top you can get in a in a warrior profile. Yeah, two wounds, two attacks, fight five, mm-hmm. fight six, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are generally the, the um, or things like a lance, armored horse, things that sort of set them apart from the standard warrior. Right. Um, I did want to mention, too, that I, I did say that this is kind of it's been written as part of a of a battle company's campaign that I'm, I'm writing up. But mm-hmm. it's not to say that this couldn't be worked into a narrative campaign for match play. And that was the term I was looking for earlier in It Escape Me, match play, where two players play with the same amount of points against each other head to head. So the only thing is like right now, like the idea of a campaign in MESBG is essentially they write a whole bunch of scenarios, you know, in in each of the hardcover books that come out. And then they link a whole bunch of those scenarios together to form a campaign. So that's kind of what a campaign has become in MESBG. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like you could write a campaign for regular match play MESBG that is for armies of models and not based around these like small scenarios they, they include in the books. We just aren't seeing that right but it is possible you could do that and and then include this concept in something like that right that's true yeah so andrew yes did you prepare an example of a unique warrior for us i did all right so i may have gone off script a bit okay that's fine um in that it's not a generic warrior Okay. It's a unique, unique warrior. Right? Oh, yeah. Mine's definitely unique. Oh, mine, mine has a backstory and everything. Yep, so does mine. Okay. So I knew I... you would come prepared, so I like I, I did my best here. Okay. So, should I start? Yeah, go for it. Um, so, the, the character is called the Mighty, and Mighty is in quotations, mm-hmm. Vidonthril. What? That's right. That's right. The mighty Vedanthril. Vedanth, like with a V? V, it's right. I went away. Mm. I know Tolkien loves his F's and E's and his G's for elves, <laughs> but I went with a V. Makes okay. zero sense. Oh, it's an elf, all right. That's right. Vedanthril. That's right. All right. So, Vedanthril is known, and this is his backstory. Vedanthril yeah. is known by many names, none of them good. Born to a powerful elven warrior, Vidanthril was set up for glory early on. Sadly, he coasted through life, not ever bothering to live up to his namesake, never training or excelling at much of anything. Mm. Vidanthril assumed that his natural greatness would come to the fore in combat, and thus he joined the elven guard surrounding the Grey Havens. If Vidanthril's mm-hmm. father knew of Vidanthril's shortcomings, it is not known. What is known is that his his father loved him so, thorns and all. 
It was this love that bestowed uh, to Vedanthril a sacred shield carried over the seas from Valinor during the Second Age. A shield his father used to great effect, earning him the name Sentinel of the Grey Havens. Sadly, Vidanthral would lose the shield not three days later in his first skirmish. <laughs> all except Vidanthral, uh, all except Vidanthral fell, uh, who fell in a, uh, into a small valley. Um, sorry, so the skirmish occurred and everyone was slain except Vidanthral, who fell into a small valley, tumbling downwards, losing his shield in the process. He would have lost his sword too if he had pulled it from his scabbard. Oh, uh, fail. When Vedanthril came to, he ran up the high valley rise, searching furiously for his father's shield. It was to no avail. The shield was gone, taken by orcs. A great shame filled Vedanthril, not because he eschewed his teachings or because his friends were dead. No, because he lost his father's shield. He sat for many hours until his shame became anger and his anger became rage. He vowed that he would find the orc who stole his father's shield and reclaim it. Drawing his sword from his scabbard, he held it in both hands, ready to slay all before him, uh, before the mighty Fidanthro. All right. So, so this is essentially a, a lazy elf who was given a valuable artifact from his father and he promptly lost it. That's right. Well, he wasn't given one valuable artifact. He was given two. So we'll talk about that right now. Okay, okay. So his war gear is standard elven blade. No changes there. Mm -hmm. And a suit of elven heavy armor called Auspicious Fortune. All right. Auspicious Fortune. This is a set of heavy elven armor bequeathed to him by his father. In a mighty elven warrior's hands, it is a stalwart barrier preventing grievous injury to the wearer. In mm -hmm. Vedanthril's inexperienced and reckless possession, it is a shadow of its former glory. Um, whenever Vedanthril suffers an arm injury, re-roll the result until you no longer roll an arm injury. All right. So that's like leaning into the battle company rules. That's right. So he, like he can't suffer an arm injury. And right. In part because like his whole shtick is wielding his sword with two hands. It wouldn't work <laughs> if he suffered two arm injuries. <laughs> so, um, the base stat, um, this, so the name actually changes, right? So the mighty mm -hmm. Vedanthril, sort of like an overarching thing, but the, the base stat is Vedanthril the Foolish. Um, he's got six move, four fight, okay, four shoot, very bad wow, stats so for an elf. He's, he's crappy for an elf. Wow. Oh, he's terrible. Three strength, five defense, and then one, one, six. One attack, one wound, and six courage. He has six courage, not five. Um, not because of, you know, more due to blindly charging into combat. Um, okay. That's kind of his thing. He doesn't really understand right. tactics and when to be afraid. So it makes him more courageous. Okay. Yeah. And his special rule is savage charge. Vidanthril must move and, towards and charge, if able, the closest enemy model. So he's blindly running at whatever okay. he can see. On the turn he charges, he gets plus one to his fight value, and he can wield his elven blade two-handed without suffering a minus one penalty to dual roll. Oh, I like it. 
So when he charges blindly into battle for that brief moment, he's a fight five elf and he wields his elven blade um, two handed without a penalty, which yeah. you know, any elven uh, battle company can be like, okay, that's actually not too bad because yeah. um, we don't have a way to really kill models out of high defense. Okay. Nice. I like it. Cool. So when Vedanthril finally receives his upgrade, right, when mm-hmm. he finally uh, upgrades himself, he becomes Vedanthril, the um, impetuous. No stat line change, mm-hmm. but he picks up a new special rule called Blade Wrath, where Vedanthril must wield his elven blade two-handed in a duel, but he does so without imposing a negative one penalty to his duel rolls. And this sort of overrides that portion of the Savage Charge special rule, which gives right. him it. So essentially he gets burly without, it's burly light. So his, his special rule changes and becomes better in his second profile, basically, because it's not just when he charges now, it's all the time. That's correct. And so it's not so much that he's learned how to wield the blade well, it's that he's leaning into the anger and the rage side and allows him to spin the blade like crazy. And, you know, you know, Elvin's stamina mm-hmm. and endurance is yeah. quite profound. Um, and so when he finally upgrades again, uh, he becomes Vedanthril the Frenzied. And his fight value actually goes up to fight five. Right, so he's finally at this point mm-hmm. he's finally learned how to wield his blade correctly to elven okay. standards. Yeah, um, and his defense is uh, five slash six, and mm-hmm. he has a new special rule called relentless advance, where Vedanthril counts as being equipped with a shield for the purposes of ranged attacks. He cares not for the, the, the volley of arrows coming at him, he will relentlessly advance upon his enemy, deflecting arrows where needed. Um, and yeah, he now counts as slightly stronger. So now he, he's not, um, uh, was it immune to pain or whatever the, the rule is for berserkers? We yeah. get that six plus fate and you um, you get the defense six. Um, it's versus, more of- Versus missile weapons. Yeah. Versus missile weapons. This is more to do with He's relentlessly advancing upon you. It's almost causing a bit of um, a terror in the enemy's eyes and therefore gets slightly right. better defense as a result. Mm-hmm. And last but not least... It's like, you cannot kill me with arrows. You must fight me. That's exactly it. And so his last profile upgrade is Vidanthril the Berserker. Ooh. And again... His profile doesn't change. Now, let's remember, with the Dawn Thriller Frenzy, he's base fight five, and when he charges with Savage Charge, he goes to fight six. All right. Okay. So with the Dawn Thriller Berserker, again, stat line doesn't rem- remains the same, but his Savage Charge gets upgraded to Ferocious Charge, where it gives him, in addition to the plus one fight, it also gives him plus one attack on the turn he charges. Mm-hmm. So he's this fight six, two attack monster in combat that wields his weapon two-handed at his highest nice. upgrade level. Right on. I like it. A, a berserker elf with a two-handed weapon. That's so right. what, he Only never finds his shield, right? He never finds his well, shield. Well, you, you never know. That could be the yeah, scenario. That's, that's but, down the road. That's down the road. But he never wields, if, even if he found a shield, and you can't buy him a shield upgrade, because mm-hmm. when he re- becomes Vedanthril the Impetuous, he must wield his Elven Blade two-handed in a duel. Mm-hmm. Right? So, right. Um, yeah. And so he, and because they're unique warrior profiles, the options for war gear would be included, and there just are no options. It's, this is That's what right. they get, right? This is what this they is get. This is what he gets. It, it occurred to me after, after writing this that we would have to add a special rule 
um, to all of these profiles, at least the first three profiles. And that special rule would essentially prevent um, this model from getting the hero in the making mm. result. So mm -hmm. like you can only become a hero in the making on your last profile, the fourth profile, because it would kind of defeat the purpose if you had a profile for the guy and then right away you turned into a hero and yeah, none right. of the others, none of the others happen. So cool. Mm -hmm. I like it. Did you, did you by chance put any point values to your guy or no? Oof. Um, I would actually say he probably costs the same as an alpha warrior to start with. Yeah, because so he, he has a, a, a negative on, on his stats, but then he has a, a special rule that makes him better when he charges, right? Yeah, he's got a special rule when he, when he charges, but he also has a special suit of armor, right? So again, right. given upgrades, I would say that's plus two points and, you know, fight and shoot being degraded. So nice. I would say he's nine, ten points. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then for each upgrade you see on top of that, I mean, it changes, right? For example, like, um, I think it, it takes the rule of, um, it could be plus five points for each because yeah. it's a special rule, right? And so, yeah. Cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ready for mine? I'm ready. Okay. So mine was inspired by a couple of fictional characters so think of uh game of thrones hodo um you know that big giant guy who's like hodor hodor yeah, yeah hodor. seems kind of dim-witted so but the main source of my inspiration for this was a character out of a series of novels um Everybody sort of is familiar with uh, the Hornblower series by C.S. Forster. Well, a lot of people will be. Well, like when I was a, a, a young man, I got into reading all that stuff. And there's another author called Alexander Kent who wrote very similar books to that, but many, many more than what C.S. Forster wrote. And mm -hmm. his character was Belitho or Belitho, depending on the pronunciation. Um, and he had, uh, and he was a naval captain, sort of in the Napoleonic era. And he had a, a coxswain who's like the, his, the lead guy of his boat, like when they went off ship and would be in a small boat. So mm -hmm. he would be in control of the boat. And it's basically like a, almost, almost like his servant kind of thing. And right. that character's name was Stockton or Stockdale, my, my bad, Stockdale. Stockdale. And essentially he was, they found him um, and he was like this big giant guy, maybe kind of dim-witted. And he was in like a really bad situation on land. And they, they asked him if he wanted to sign up for the king's shilling. In other words, you know, come on to the ship. And so he agreed and he was kind of rescued from this situation. But he's like mm -hmm. a great big guy. Um, so that those two characters are kind of the where my idea came from. So my character okay. is his name is Stockton, the mm -hmm. human mule is his, mm. is his first name. So not the mighty. He's mm. Stockton, mm -hmm. the human mule. Um, and I have him at seven points. Okay. okay. So, so here's his, his, his backstory, which isn't as long as your backstory, but still Stockton is a young man, but huge in size and as strong as an ox. However, even at his young age, his will has been broken. An orphan, he was raised in virtual slavery by a cruel nobleman. 
uh, and he's a man, he's a human. His, his parents had owed the nobleman, and when they died, that debt fell onto him. Even though the nobleman was smaller and much weaker, he frequently beat Stockton. Broken and cowed into submission, Stockton lacked the confidence uh, or lacked confidence and had very little in the way of social skills. As a result, he tends to be very sullen, head cowed and staring at the ground. When outdoors, Stockton is easily distracted, stopping frequently to admire the wonders of nature. Your warband witnesses Stockton's masters mistreating him and interceded on his behalf. After haggling with the nobleman, you pay off Stockton's debt and welcome him in into your warband. All in all, it didn't cost much more than a normal reinforcement. No doubt he will need a lot of training and social conditioning to bring him out of his shell. At present, he's not much more than a beast of burden. Oh. So that's that's his backstory. It's a sad story. Um, so here's his profile. Okay, oh. move move six, mm -hmm. fight one, shoot. Oh, starting off strong. Yeah, shoot five plus, strength four, mm -hmm. defense four, attacks one, wounds one, courage two, war gear, staff. So not. All that impressive okay mm. so here's his special rules human mule one Stockton can carry three large equipment items and three small equipment items mm -hmm. so in battle companies normally a model can only carry one large and one small so he can carry three large and three small uh, second special rule timid he must pass a courage check in order to charge. Oh, God. Good and his luck. courage is two. Third special rule. Very easily distracted. If Stockton does not have a friendly model in base contact with him at the start of the move phase, he must roll a d6. He can only move that turn if he rolls a 6+. plus. Otherwise, he's too distracted by a pretty butterfly or colorful flowers. So basically, you need to keep someone, you know, in base contact with them to like lead them around. Okay. Lastly, because of course, how does a character like this actually gain experience in the game? I was going to say. Right. So by participating, sure, you get one. Great. Okay. But he's determined. Stockton earns one XP if he is still on the table by the end of the game. Okay. So he gets, the, gets two XP automatically. Yeah. So if he, if he doesn't run away. Mm -hmm. So that's his first profile, okay. uh, and I have it scored at seven points because essentially okay. he's he's completely useless. However, he is carrying a lot of equipment for the the company, which is again leaning into a rule for battle company. Battle that's, and that, that strength four is pretty juicy. It is, yeah. If he can actually get into a fight, strength four is actually good to start out with. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's his second profile, and this kicks him up to nine points, okay? okay? Stockton, the free man. After spending some time with your warband, you've noticed a bit of a change in Stockton. No longer permanently staring at his feet and 
and not as frequently distracted by every little thing. Although, with hesitation, Stockton has begun to exchange some words with his new companions. He's taken up a crossbow and seems to be reasonably capable with the weapon. So hopefully he can con contribute something to a fight. Okay, so his profile, it does change. He goes up to fight two mm -hmm. and shoot four plus. So both those improved. Yeah. He's, he's got strength of four still. He's got mm -hmm. a defense now of five instead of four. He's got one attack, one wound, and now courage three. Mm. His war gear is still has the staff, but now mm. he has armor and a crossbow. Oh, okay, okay. So that's why he went up to defense five now. So he's actually got mm. a decent weapon here now. And plus mm -hmm. his fight or his shoot went to from five plus to four plus. Okay, yeah. so his special rule, now his human mule one has turned into human, human mule two. Stockton can carry two large equipment items and three small equipment items. So he can only carry two large instead of three large. So he can't gotcha. carry quite as much stuff because he's got armor now. He's got a crossbow. So, gotcha. okay. Timid, must pass in order to charge. Uh, mm -hmm. Easily distracted. Same rule as before. But now if he rolls the dice, he can only move on the roll of a five plus. Gotcha. Otherwise, okay, he's okay. too distracted by pretty butterflies or colorful flowers. All okay, right. so, so he's gotten a little bit better, and he can actually contribute to a fight with some random crossbow shots. Perfect. Okay, third profile goes up to mm -hmm. 15 points now. Wow. That's some serious pointage. Mm -hmm. Stockton, the fighter. Since joining your battle company, Stockton has undergone a transformation. Although he can still carry a large amount of equipment, he is no longer just a beast of burden and now takes an active role in the warband. He has responded very well to his combat training, wielding a large two-handed axe in addition to his crossbow. Most warriors would have trouble carrying both of these large weapons at once, but Stockton's huge frame, they almost look like children's toys. Uh, profile, we go up to fight three. We stay at four plus shoot, stay at strength five, defense, or stay at strength four rather, defense five, attacks one, wounds go up to two. Oh. Okay, remember, well, you went up to 15 points here. Mm -hmm. um, courage goes up to four. Wow. War gear, um, basically, he's replacing his staff with a two-handed axe. Okay. So he's got armor, crossbow, two-handed axe. Okay. Special rules, human r mule three. Stockton can carry one large equipment item and three small equipment items. So again, a reduction in what he can carry, but now he's lost the other rules that were restricting him. He no longer oh. has to, he's no longer timid. He doesn't have to pass a courage test to charge, and he's no longer easily distracted by butterflies and colorful flowers. So he can move normally. He doesn't need a babysitter anymore. Right, so now he's an actual... There's, there's basically nothing negative to him now, but he's worth 15 points. He's got two wounds, crossbow, mm -hmm. he, can, he can fight. Okay, so his last profile, and again, like yours, the mighty Stockton. Mm. 
22 points. Okay. Stockton has evolved into an elite warrior, the equal to even the best soldiers in many of the standing armies in Middle Earth. A fierce combatant, he can wield his two handed axe with ease, swatting aside lesser foes with almost no effort. Although not a subtle fighter, his huge size and strength allow him to endure in even the most brutal combat. Okay, so this is his final profile. He is move six, fight four, shoot four plus, strength four, defense six, two attacks, two wounds, courage four. His war gear is heavy armor, so that's an upgrade, crossbow, mm -hmm. and two-handed axe. Special rules, burly, and human mule four. So he stays, he's, he stay, he keeps that human mule for, through his whole thing. It just becomes mm. lesser and lesser. Stockton can carry one large equipment item and two small equipment items. So he gets an extra small equipment item. Gotcha. Right? And so then finally, this profile, after achieving this profile, is when he could now get the hero in the making result and advance mm -hmm. into a hero. Dang. So there, that's his that's his profiles and his narrative. His his, his profile is better than mine. My my character's profile. My guy well, doesn't want to attack in one wound. Yeah, <laughs> you 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 kept it toned down pretty much with like yeah. small small incremental increases. So I like it. It's just you know there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly good. Uh, a lot of narrative to that story as well. Mine just takes him up to like you know half troll kind of <laughs> range. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, holy cow! Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? What do you think of this whole unique warrior profile idea? So, none of these guys are heroes; they don't have heroic stats, mm -hmm. you know. But they have a story to them. They get better. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Um, I think you know what? When you do your narrative campaign, you should include both our characters. I think so. I think, I think so. you need you need to send send me yours and I'll I'll add them to the mix. That's right. I would and love to then see for that mix. That one small contribution, you'll get writing credits. There we go. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'll join SAG after and I'll uh, come and sue yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, hey, I was going to ask you a question, and I'll just ask you here. You mm -hmm. remember when we were playing our D and D campaign, and you mentioned that you bought a software that made maps. Yes. You still have that? I do. It's actually a subscription. Um, I can send you the deets if you like. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, because I was like, as part of this, I'm going to be, um, I've written already a few missions, but of course mm -hmm. they're custom missions. They're not like the standard ones out of the book. Um, yeah. So I need a decent looking map. Like I could just throw in my hand-drawn sketch, but it's like, mm. eh. No, no, I, I'll, get, I'll get you, I'll get you the, um, the map generator. Yeah, awesome. That would be so cool. All right. Well, I think we're at the end, sir. I know your so. uh, Bandobaris is bursting your door down over there and pretty much sing, yeah. singing songs and <laughs> wanting some attention from from his dad. So, um, any parting words? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to playing this Saturday, and um, if this goes out before um, and people give it a listen before the tournament, uh, in advance I do apologize if um, 
a you mobile sluggish to, to get <laughs> well yeah I mean 81 models moving that around is a bit slow so I do apologize in advance um yeah I, I almost forgot too we did just uh create uh, uh an account on right. Kofi so that's co-fi for any of you um that C-O-K-O. would it's it's ko Dash FI. Yeah. Um, so it's just a way for people because people have asked us uh, if they are able to like donate any money. And we're like, well, we don't want to do Patreon because we just we're too irregular with our releases. And mm-hmm. um, we know that can't really change right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we didn't want to try to like get people signed up for a, a monthly membership and all of that. Um but Kofi uh, will allow anybody that is inclined to do so to to throw us a, a couple of shekels if they are so inclined. And, you know, that's totally up to you guys, and we would very appreciate, appreciate it, of so. course. But, yeah, not necessary. Um, yeah, but that's it. I think that's it for another episode. All right, sounds good. Okay, so the next topic is all on you. All right. I've got, yeah. a, I got a couple ideas. So it'll be some competitive thing. Probably. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for another episode here on North of the Shire.